This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. And welcome to Critical Point, a podcast brought to you by Milliman. My name is Rebecca Driscoll, and I'll be your host today. Our episode this morning focuses on cyber risk. This is the second time we've tackled the topic. Previously, we looked at the potential for a massive cyber attack to cause the next big short, hearkening back to the 2008 financial crisis. Today, we're going to focus on cyber risk in emerging markets and what managing that risk looks like in countries such as South Africa. Also, this is a Milliman first. We're recording this episode across nearly 8,000 miles. On the phone, I'm joined today by David Kirk, Managing Director in our Cape Town, South Africa office. Hi, David. Morning, Rebecca. And uh, here in New York, I'm joined by Chris Harner. He's Managing Director of Milliman Cyber Risk Solutions Group. Morning, Chris. Good morning. First, let's just start with some background. Um, David, you and Chris recently participated in a panel in Joburg on cyber risk. And I'm curious, what issues are top of mind in the cyberspace in South Africa and uh, other emerging markets? There are a fair number of similarities between what we're doing here in South Africa and what I've understood from Chris are key issues in the US. I'd probably group insurers and other companies in South Africa into three groups, you know, those that are really are in a state of denial. They, they don't want to know uh, about the issues and they aren't doing anything about it. They think maybe it's not going to affect them. Then there are others for whom they, they, they know it's a uh, concern, but they really are unsure where to start. And mostly they just end up wanting insurance to, to deal with these issues. And the third group are taking it quite seriously. They've probably implemented various frameworks, but they're still uneasy about the level of maturity and they really are struggling to communicate it to the, the board. So that's a framework of, of the, the spectrum that we see. In terms of the, the key risks that they're worried about, really what comes up over and over again is reputation. The, the, the financial side is, is there, but I think it is secondary to reputation. And probably the biggest source of risk they see is outsourcing and vendor risk. In fact, this came up just yesterday with uh, an entity reporting and another breach. So that vendor risk and the complexity that that creates is pretty key. I would just add that um, South Africa, I would say in its cyber risk journey, is still perhaps a bit focused on the concerns about cyber crime. And I think I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, when we think of business email compromise, maybe we think of funds being illicitly wired out, etc. Um, probably uh, where it will eventually evolve, say, like in the U.S. And, and the U.K., is to think more holistically about a cyber risk strategy, a very comprehensive, a holistic view. And as David mentioned, to think more of how does how does vendor play into that, how does moving to the cloud play into that, and a lot of more of these complex issues. So where are some of the weak points? I mean, are those the weak points when it comes to cyber risk cover and underwriting in emerging markets, or are there others? I think, um, so there, there is a perhaps a bit of a weak point, I would say, of a view of 
we we heard a little bit of well i have coverage or don't i just need to buy cyber coverage and and i'll be all right and of course you you would want that but that's only going to uh, provide funds to sort of pick up the uh, pick up the pieces and clean things up after the fact you know again once you have reputational damage once data is uh, is exfiltrated and so on there are other second and third or, or order effects so you certainly want that in in your toolbox uh, but I think, again, uh, the market probably needs to think uh, harder about what is the strategy and how can these things play out and what are uh, more comprehensive ways to prevent cyber events. So, for example, what was very interesting is I saw that the NIST framework, which comes out of the U.S., was seemed to be the adopted standard. Now, there's no regulatory requirement behind that, but it seems that the market had figured out there was there was no need to reinvent the wheel, and I and I think that's absolutely correct. But I think South Africa, just like as if as it as it evolves, uh, the market, the the banks, the insurers, etc., they're they're going to have to think beyond that, and they're going to have to become more sophisticated as uh, as more events and more losses are are incurred. David, can you talk about some of the challenges that emerging markets might face when it comes to cyber or like that South Africa might face, for instance, um, compared to well-established markets like the U.S.? So one of the starting points there is about the appreciation for the extent of the risk. In South Africa and many emerging markets, physical security, be it of assets or people, really is probably more top of mind than it is in developed markets. So we're looking at cyber risk and trying to evaluate how important cyber risk is. There's this balance of you know how important really should it be, but also you know, emerging markets tend to have, generally speaking, older technology, maybe less internet connected services, less internet connected devices. So in some ways that potentially you know decreases the the attack vector. So that could be a good thing. But we've heard from many entities that the shortage of skills really is is critical that the major IT companies will either buy up those skills in the country or you know, companies in developed markets will actually uh, take, pick up those, those staff and remove them from the South African market. So I can imagine that skill shortage is true everywhere, but we definitely feel that here. And uh, then in South Africa in particular, we have a very fragile electricity generation uh, infrastructure. And there are probably similarly fragile infrastructure areas in other emerging markets. So you know, it doesn't take that much in terms of a disruption to really have a, a, a knock-on effect in terms of some really major cyber damage on, on that front. I would absolutely agree. And I think that's a very interesting point David raises. Typically, when we talk about cyber risk, we're talking, or people think this is about nefarious actors or state actors. But South Africa does have sort of this unique problem of uh, that the electrical grid uh, often doesn't have the capacity to, to meet the needs of, of the nation. And that could play itself out uh, into some type of cyber event. Again, not because of uh, nefarious actions, but, but simply as the system goes down, think of payments, think of communications, think of, of processing different things, whether it's trades and, 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 and what have you. Uh, it's actually a unique problem that probably the banks and the insurers do, do need to think about. I mean, the, the advantage that we have is that we can look and learn from what's happened in developed markets. So we can, you know, don't have to make all the same mistakes over and again. Uh, a key example there is cloud migration or migration to the cloud. Uh, we had several insurers in South Africa looking at that as an option or partway through that and really starting to, to worry about what those that those risks might be. The flip side is you know, we're a relatively small economy and some of the cyber attacks that we've had 
possibly most of them, are from global players. So we are exposed to you know, global attacks, even though we are a relatively small market with a relatively small uh, set of skills. I think that's an interesting point that South Africa has sort of the opportunity also as it's developing to create some new efficiencies. And I'm curious, what has been your observation of the growth and the pricing in the market? And then Chris, how does that, I'm curious how that compares to what we're seeing in the overseas market? So in terms of the cyber risk cover that's available, mostly that is provided either directly or indirectly by global players. And in fact, we had an interesting conversation with local players with some of them really not wanting to touch this risk. I think they, they recognize the large uh, risk size that can come through and the aggregations of risk. The the underwriting processes are still relatively, uh, relatively crude. Having said that, we've also had clients who said that they looked at the set of questions to be able to go through this underwriting process and they didn't understand the questions, let alone have the information able to put the answers down. And these are the same entities that need to somehow work out how much cover do they actually need. They, they really are struggling with a way to assess what that, that overall need for insurance might be. Yes, I think it'll be a process. So so if we look at the U.S., for example, there's roughly 170 carriers underwriting cyber. But when you look at premiums written, five carriers dominate with over 50% of, of, of premiums. So there's a bit of um, large players whereas others feel the need to get exposure to get into the market. Uh, I think there's some dangers with that. And it's interesting to see that there's this caution, which is perhaps as wise in, in SA, and for South Africa, perhaps to learn a bit more from experiences of, of, of other nations. I think initially in the U.S. and probably where SA is, the focus is what we would call moat and castle. Uh, you know, what, what are your defenses? Uh, what systems do, do you have? What, what policies and so forth? Uh, and it's going to have to evolve as it is in, in developing markets to more of a holistic risk view of what is the actual risk. And I think the insurers in the developing market or in, in the developed markets do struggle with this of thinking about the accumulation risk of, of their book as well as how are other policies affected. So, so for example, uh, Typically in the U.S., if you get breached, you're going to get sued. So you're going to tap that DNO policy as well, right? So there's a, there's some complexities that have to be resolved with uh, coverages, triggers, and 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 so on. Yeah, in 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 fact, where local insurers are picking this cover up is, as Chris mentioned, where it's part of business continuity policies. But there's also pressure from the brokers who wants to be able to offer the coverage to their clients. So again, insurers are picking this up somewhat uh, somewhat reluctantly. But if the individual clients themselves aren't able to adequately assess the risk, and they're much closer to the information, it's arguably even harder for an outside insurer to assess that risk. So either it's unsustainable and we're just waiting for that large claim that sort of resets everybody's appreciation for what the risks are, or you're going to be paying a lot for the cover because it's very difficult to assess the risk. So insurance is an option that's usually part of an overall program, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done before you sign that policy. Yeah, that's that, that that's right. I think when we look at at the U.S. in particular, the experience in property and casualty, uh, Hurricane Andrew, 1992, really helped those carriers focus more on how to assess that risk. When we think of flood, what we call fluvial uh, inundation, and so on, uh, how to assess damage. That type of modeling, that type of risk assessment 
really only came of age after a major event. Chris mentioned earlier how I think in his experience people were focused very much on the, the cyber crime aspect in South Africa. I think that that's right. But they're also very focused, certainly on, a, on an individual level, focused on a, the financial loss, the transactional loss, the, the hack of the bank account. Typical person on the street in South Africa really isn't bothered by health data, which is often the most targeted data in, in other markets. So, you know, we, we wait for that very first major breach on, on health data that people really start to care about. And, you know, both the insurers of, of you know, the, the normal risk are going to be concerned about it. The cyber insurers are going to be worried about it. And it's something that will, will, will change the perception quite a lot. We were talking about the other exposures that come along with cyber. How are war versus terrorism versus crime treated in insurance policies in South Africa? And why is that relevant for cyber? Yeah, we have an, an interesting situation in South Africa where uh, the South African Special Risks Insurance Agency, or SASRIA, picks up the, the civil unrest and riots and terrorism risks out of normal policies. So those aren't covered by the uh, underlying insurers. They pass those on to, to SASRIA, which is formed by, by several of the in, insurers. And that really comes from our history in the 70s and 80s with a lot of civil unrest. Those policies still don't cover war. So the extent to which this is viewed as a crime and a criminal attack or even terrorism, uh, at least in theory, those are covered. But the moment it becomes an active act of war, or I would argue more likely in South Africa, collateral damage from somebody else's war, then those policies aren't going to be providing cover. That's really interesting. Yeah, so I think that theme that David raises is a bit of a dilemma both for the insurance sector as well as, let's just say, the the banking sector. And that is, uh, this again goes back to your cyber strategy, cyber resilience, of really understanding what are the risks, what are your defenses, what are your forward-looking capabilities to understand that, and is there actually broad awareness of what David just said, that um, you you may not have the coverage that you think you have, the government uh, may not step in or may not have the means to step in or, or to bridge certain, certain gaps. And it's very interesting that South Africa has that. Um, if you read the literature in the U.S., there there is some positions advocating or discussion about will the government eventually have to step in again when we think of uh, massive catastrophes in which we have FEMA, for example, when we think of a massive systemic attack as a, a, a cyber attack, uh, will that require government intervention? We don't know yet, uh, but it's it's possible. And those government bailouts, government you know, stepping in are controversial anywhere in the world. In South Africa, we've had our own challenges recently of state-owned enterprises running into trouble and arguably needing bailouts and funding, and you know, th- those are always difficult decisions. You know, when a state-owned entity fails, the question is who's going to benefit and who's going to bear the cost? And the same question would need to be asked of a cyber attack. And with the incredible wealth inequality we have in South Africa, if the primary victims of this attack are the more wealthy, I can see being a very difficult popular political position to take to then be bailing out those individuals. If you know that means that companies have to fail, now there's still going to be those systemic knock-on impacts to the overall economy, but it's always going to be part of a political conversation. Uh, that's a very interesting point, and I'm sure one that is true across markets, not just in South Africa, but basically for many emerging markets where there's a disparate spread in terms of socioeconomics. Chris, you had mentioned earlier that that beyond just 
purchasing cyber coverage, really the next step is to look at an overall cyber risk strategy. And I'm curious if there are differences between what that strategy would be in a country like South Africa or another emerging market versus a more well-established country like the U.S. or the U.K. in terms of their cyber strategy? Right. That's that's an excellent question. And I think, first off, people need to ask themselves or or leadership in whether it's a a bank, a state-owned enterprise, who owns this risk? And, And I would argue you own this own this risk, that you have to have the strategy in terms of what are your priorities, what's the spend, really understanding, mapping out what are my key risks. Again, as David mentioned earlier, is it vendor? Is it, do I have uh, old technologies? Uh, What is the speed? What is my sense of urgency to modernize and to get those defenses? And then I think at a national level, uh, which would be for the government and in particular, any type of military or, or intelligence agency is what's the forward-looking capability or the collaboration with other countries to get out in front of this. Meaning, aside from the electrical grid going down just because of it doesn't have capacity, if we're talking about state actors, really the government, that's their role, is to have some type of capability and then disseminating information, whether it's through briefings, through um, some type of system to allow critical infrastructure, whether that's the financial system or the electrical grid, et cetera, uh, to give people some type of warning in order to prepare for that. I can also imagine in terms of some of those differences, South Africa and many emerging markets aren't perhaps as stereotypically litigious as the US. And the the data protection regulations aren't as developed as are in, in Europe and the US. We've had our poppy bill floating around, almost enacted for, 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 for a long period of time. So those would be some reason to be less concerned. But then there's a the question of scale. I can imagine you could find any individual insurer in South Africa or Nigeria or Kenya and find an equivalent sized, equivalent sophisticated uh, insurer in the US. But there are far fewer large insurers in the US and even more so in, in Nigeria. So you've got some of the same challenges, some of the same problems, some of the same attack vectors but you don't have that same scale to be able to apply the resources to it. So I think there's a, we definitely on average, I would say that we are behind in that maturity stage and it's more expensive per unit of premium per policy to implement some of these, these strategies. So looking for the, the most efficient way to understand that risk and the, the most efficient uh, solutions is, is, is key. And for organizations that are interested in starting to think about their cyber risk and and uh, implement either a strategy or coverage. Are there any common mistakes that you both have seen that um, organizations sort of don't realize or understand as they're purchasing coverage or that have led to a claim? And how can those be avoided? So let me let me start with that. I think um, one of the themes that that we've seen is a cyber policy is is purchased. But it's not it's not clear if senior management really understand what the triggers are and what is actually covered. And so that can be a bit of a shock that once there's an event, there's an incident response. Uh, typically, you should have a, a breach coach. That could be an attorney. That could be some kind of specialist. Uh, and then as they're, as they're working with, with the insurance company, there there's a realization 
that perhaps this specific event or the way it was triggered was not covered, as well as um, we've asked this question and we, we get funny looks across the table of, have you, la- have, you, have you laid out all of your policies, you know, cyber, DNO, ENO, CBI, and so on, crime, fraud, et cetera. And have you actually gone through them and mapped them and say, you know, would this type of event be covered? You know, would this type of trigger allow us to make a claim? And so that exercise is, is sounds simple, but it's actually very important to really understand what is covered and then to think through what are your vulnerabilities and, and how would that trigger uh, occur. And last but not least, you know, in the U.S., at least, in other countries where you have breach laws, where you're obliged by law to inform the government or in the U.S., typically the, the, the attorney general of your state, that you may be obliged to do that as quickly as 48 or 72 hours. That's not as easy as people think. We have heard people struggled to actually properly inform their, their, their authorities. So again, having those tabletop exercises are, are important as well. I guess along with that, I mean, this is changing, but along with that, you'll see that you know, cyber risk overall is often delegated to the IT manager as responsibility. And there's no question that IT is a significant part of this, but this isn't just an IT issue and it can't just be the responsibility of an IT manager to, to worry about that. You may also think, well, this is just another type of operational risk. But those connections that Chris was talking about into to the other areas and into the, the what the financial impact could be and, and how this could ping off other risks, that, that's that's another area that we're seeing that it's maybe been a struggle for some entities to, to recognize that this, they need to own it. I think part of that struggle is that the, the, the overall, risk manager, overall risk manager may not be that familiar with the, the jargon and the concepts and the risks idea. So you know, it's much easier than just to make it somebody else's problem until it comes back to bite you. Yes, I would, I would just add to that, and I think this is a theme both in South Africa as, as well as the U.S. Right now, we have this information a, asymmetry, right, that when we think of cyber, it's really the IT guys, the, the information security people who really understand that risk from a very technical perspective. But the problem is they may not be able to translate that and communicate that into the risk language. And likewise, the risk people uh, sitting in the second line of defense, just for various reasons never really studied or had had the opportunity to really uh, obtain deep knowledge in this risk. So there's going to be a certain amount of time before cyber risk really becomes part of the canon of risk management. And I think that's right, that that the risk managers are really going to have to upskill themselves. And then there's going to be an expectation, and we see that in developing markets, that senior management and the board are upskilled and really take ownership of, 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 of this risk. And back to David's point about uh, the U.S. being a litigious society, shareholder pressure and lawsuits are and, and regulators are, are going to push that as well. Yeah, for from a board perspective, I'd argue that the the best boards in South Africa at the moment, the the primary comment is, we recognise this is a risk, we we want to know more about it, but we still aren't getting the measures, the metrics, the information to really understand it. So moving forward, what are you know one or two or three concrete steps that organisations in South Africa and other markets? Um, what can they do to begin the process of better protecting themselves against cyber risk? Yes, great, great question. And I think instead of giving a laundry list, uh, having spoken to 10 
uh, major players in the market. And I, I think the message to, to other market participants would be is to elevate cyber as a risk to the other risks that you're already managing and that you're comfortable with, meaning there needs to be ownership of this risk. There needs to be proper reporting. And what that really means in my mind is you need to get the discipline around what is your risk appetite? How are you going to quantify this risk? What are the metrics? What do you, what, what are the key messages you want to report to senior management and, and the board, just as you would for credit risk and the other classic risks. I think elevating cyber and putting that lens on, on this risk will help move things forward. Great. Well, Thank you, David and Chris. It was wonderful to have you join us across 8,000 miles for the first time. You've been listening to Critical Point, presented by Milliman. To listen to other episodes of our podcast, visit us at milliman.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Thanks, and see you next time.